LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about getting momentum, gaining traction, having a great fall. And why is this so critical? We know in church work, in, uh, as leaders in the church, there are seasons of ministry that are critical. I learned this really early on. Like as an intern, I learned this. You know, kicking off in January, there's going to be a lot of momentum as people are New Year's resolutioning their way back into the church, right? Uh, somewhere around Easter, you're going to have the greatest attendance of the year, possibly, most of the time in most churches. And from that series, you want to kind of launch some type of sustaining momentum uh, building series, if you will, as well. And then summer's kind of a lull for most churches, sadly. Uh, but at the same time, fall kicks in. And that is another one of these tent posts of church momentum and traction. And so when you're dealing with discipleship groups and discipleship in general, there's no difference there. You're going to have more groups that want to launch at these key growth times in the church, these key times where we can grab this momentum and go forward. So what are some ways that we can maximize our potential for the fall. We're sitting here sometime in August right now, and we know that when Labor Day hits, everyone's coming back that next week. They're taking their last hoorah vacation, and then they're coming back, and you're going to have some great fall attendance, but you want to build and and push that momentum forward through the fall. What are some ways we can see success in a disciple-making church um, at this time of year. Yeah, and I think, you, I think you're right on. The, the, the way people think are in quarters. We think in quarters. So we have the first quarter of the year, everybody's engaged. We have the, the next quarter, which everybody's kind of getting ready for the summer, third quarter. And then August, in a sense, starts that third section of the year. So people are coming back. They compartmentalize their lives. Summer's over. School's back in. So what I've realized is I had to change as a pastor the way I even structured sermon series and uh, church-wide events. For example, years ago, I would preach through books of the Bible, and some of those books would take a year to get through. Yeah. I mean, I preached uh, at Brainerd Baptist, Mark, in a year. One the year. gospel Just of Mark for one year. Every year, every wow. week you came Why in. haven't you done that at Long Hollow? Well, I'd like to do that at Long I Hollow. I mean, come on. Well, I'd like to do that, but we do things a little <laughs> differently. Here. I still preach through books of the Bible. Right. But here's what I've learned. It's very difficult for people to continually get motivated and excited about a 12-month uh, Bible study sermon series, okay? It, it's just like I tell you, hey, we're going to do this book club. And oh, by the way, we're going to read the book for 52 weeks. People are like, 52 weeks. <laughs> but here's what I right. tell you. But we're, we're going we're gonna to reduce it to seven different series of meetings instead of 52 weeks. Now that's more digestible. That's more palatable. Okay. So basically what we've done is I'm going to preach this, this coming year through the entire F260 New Testament plan. Now see, I'm excited about this. Yeah, we're going to start in Luke. I've been ready for this. Yeah, we're going to start in Luke. We're going to end in Revelation. We're going to go through the whole Bible reading plan. We're going to have synergy from sermon to padded seat to personal study time 
to uh, individual life group, discipleship group, and then discipling your kids. You're going to have total synergy, okay? It's going to be exciting to do that. But here's the thing. Instead of saying, come journey with us for 52 weeks to preach through the Bible, we're going to divide that whole Bible reading plan into seven or eight sermon series out of the big series. If I was redoing Mark today, I would do it very differently. I would do it with four sermons on the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. I would do it on five sermons on the miracles of Jesus. I would do it on six sermons on the uh, wandering of Jesus. I'd do another few sermons on the triumphal entry of Jesus. I'd do a few more sermons on the, the cross and the crucifixion. And then I'd do some sermons on the resurrection. It's still the book of Mark, but it's segmented. Now, why do I bring that up? In August, your people and people in the community are deciding how they're going to be re-engaged back with the church. Your church maybe, but if another church comes along and has a tantalizing series title, they may opt for the church down the street because they're talking about parenting uh, kids in a digital world. And so your series on week 36, Mark 7... No offense. Could be a challenge. Well, it could be it could be very tempting to go somewhere else. So here's what we decided. We decided to take the calendar year and to start segmenting what we do churchwide based on how people think and re-engage. Basically contextualizing. Using wisdom to contextualize things to the people that you're leading. Yes. So here's what we're gonna do. Here's what I want you to think about. So when your people come back in August, regardless of whether you do the sermon series or not, here's what you can do in the area of discipleship because that's what we're talking about here. People are more likely to engage, launch, and lead discipleship groups in the fall, okay, August, September, particularly the end of August, beginning of September. So you have to begin thinking now. In fact, you should have been thinking three, four months ago, but you can still think now. How do we get our people off the bench in the game involved in discipling relationships, okay? I want to break it down into three different sections. Let's talk about personal. Let's talk about staff. Let's talk about church-wide, okay? okay? Uh, One of the principles we know about discipleship is this. Leader, listen to me. If you're not engaged in a discipling relationship, you can't expect your people to do the same. Right. We had a whole podcast about this. Yeah. How leaders oftentimes will say, this is what you need to do. And yeah. then they go back, and they're not doing any of it. Yeah, it's a stiff arm way of that. leadership. Right. That yeah. leadership style, by the way, is dead. It's yeah. it's been dead and gone for a while. But if you're still well, doing the culture it, today, like the young people today, they they see right through that. Right. You know, they want integrity. Uh, millennials, Generation Z, they want honesty. They want someone who's going to live what they preach. Right. They see right through that. So uh, obviously, that's been long ago, long gone. But but the reality is, you need to be engaged. You can't expect your people to be in life group. If you're not leading or in a life group, Pastor, you can't expect your people to be leading and, and engaging in D groups if you're not leading and engaged in a D group. So that's the first thing, okay? What I like to do is when we get to that August, uh, September time, I start talking about how I'm leading my own personal group from the platform. So maybe you're not the preacher. Maybe you're a student leader. Maybe you're a children's director. Maybe you're uh, a lay leader. You start using the platform time you have, whether it's around your leaders or your students or your adults, and you start talking about how you're excited as you're ramping back up in your disciple relationships with your people personally. In the staff, what I start to do is when we come back from you know all the, the, the break of summer, I start... It reminding them this is a time to strike when the iron's hot. 
So you need to be asking your leaders in the children's department. You need to be asking your leaders in student ministry. You need to be asking your students as they come to school, particularly students is the best. Students start back in school. They want a fresh start. They are, they're already in the mindset of a new school year, new friends, new context, new culture. You can really, really capitalize on getting students infused in discipleship. Now, let me just share with you something interesting. We, for, for years, traditionally, we have said the best time to lead a discipleship group is from January to December. We've said this for years. You've said it. I've said it. I have now come back and rethought that. I have also rethought that. We have both rethought that. Here's why. Here's what we realized. Most people today, it's very hard to make it through the summer consistently. And I don't care who you are and you say, well, I can make it. Well, maybe you're more spiritual than all of us. But the reality is it's challenging because uh, people vacation, people travel, kids are out of school. So there are times when people will, will miss some days, and that's okay. But what we found is that summer break, it unhooks them from memory. It detaches them from reading. So here's what we found, Chris. Now I'm starting this year my discipleship group in August, and I'm going to take it around all the way through to July. And even if there's sporadic meeting, even if there's people who kind of fall away in May and or in June and July, we have consistently met for about 10 months consistently. Okay. Yeah, that's what I did this previous year and found a lot of success with it comparatively. But I will say, if you're doing groups January through December, it's still a great strategy. It's still going to be good. You just know that that summertime, you're going to have a little bit less consistency, and you need to be okay with it. Yeah, and, that's, and, and listen, you're a case in point. So this year, uh, two years ago, you took a bunch of high school students. Uh, this year, you now have college students both of which are on that semester schedule. And you just launched your group, uh, you know, end of May, June, and you started it in August, and so you kind of went through, and that's up. So here's the point for that. You need to be aware to contextualize the discipleship meeting time based on the people in your group, okay? And so what I tell my staff is this. We need to be championing discipleship. Remember this principle. What you celebrate is what people will cultivate in your church. Okay, so if you're celebrating discipleship, they're going to be cultivating discipleship in your church. And so we've got to be doing that all the time. And one little tip, no matter when you start your group, jump into the reading plan at the same time everyone else is on the reading plan. So if you do start in August, go ahead and jump into the middle of the plan on week 25 so that even those who started in January, you're still consistently connected with the others in your church. That's just a win, no matter what, in, in my opinion. Before we move on, let us take a, a break and talk about the disciple-making jumpstart. If you are training for the fall and you're trying to get your leaders together, you're trying to create this disciple-making movement, I can think of no better tool in your tool belt than the disciple-making jumpstart. We're going to give you a couple of videos that you can use to train yourself and your people and show them how discipleship groups happen, how to create a culture of disciple making in your church. And then you get the 30 day, every day you get an email taking you step by step through creating and planning out your own playbook for disciple making. And weekly you get a video challenge from Pastor Robbie to help you. And so that's one of those things that if you really want to make an impact, I feel like the disciple making jumpstart, this is the perfect time to get it, to implement, and to create that disciple making movement for the fall. Yeah. And, and, and many of you are saying, man, I've been hearing about this. I think it's time you just take the step. The hardest thing to do is take the first step. And I'm telling you, you're going to be, you're going to thank yourself later for 
for doing that. And what we do is we take the guesswork out. So we have mapped out, here's what you do day one, day two, day three, and then we start you on a track for making disciples. Disciplemakingjumpstart.com if you're interested. That's disciplemakingjumpstart.com. As we move into the next two phases, so we talked about personal um, let's let's say one more thing about personal before we move on to staff and churchwide. You mentioned this year you're doing something a little different with your discipleship group. Yes. Yeah, the, uh, what I decided to do this year is this. Uh, I, I've been convicted now. I've been discipling people for about uh, 15 years now. Uh, started my first discipleship group, didn't really know what I was doing with a guy from the gym. I just met weekly and talked about the word, and then David Platt and Tim LaFleur, and then many from that point on. I remember, not to interrupt, but I remember asking you a couple years ago, maybe a year ago, how many groups have you personally discipled? And at that point, I think you said 22 groups. So we start doing the math on 22 discipleship groups, 23 now, uh, maybe 24, because I think I asked before you to, uh, 24 groups, if they multiplied at 60% even, I mean, think of the impact. Uh, It's just an awesome legacy. All of us get to look back at the impact as we obediently follow in making disciples, but sorry about that. Continue on. Yeah. So the reality is the, the Lord's really convicted me about bypassing the first church of my home, which is my two kids, Regan, my two boys, Regan Ryder, to be passionate about discipling my church. Okay. And it's easy for us to neglect the first church in the home, which I think that's what Jesus is going to ask us about first. He's not going to say, how well did you disciple your church? How well did you disciple the world? He's going to say, how well did you disciple your home? And so I've been really convicted about this. And so I went to my wife, Candy, and I said, Candy, we're going to, I'm going to start this year a discipleship group with Rig and Ryder. Now, they're 10 and 8, okay? It's not going to be like a typical discipleship It's going to be a little group. different. It's going to be a little different. The fact that I'm going to keep their attention will be part of the problem, right? I was going to say, you called it a fact. I'm going to need to see, I'm going to need to experience a few of those yeah. <laughs> yeah. before it's a fact. But here's the thing I thought. <laughs> They're very impressionable. They're at an age where they want to learn. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to do it at home because I realize if I do it at the house, yeah, it just becomes something around, they, they don't look at it, it differently, right? Yeah. So I'm going to come to my office. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it at the table. Just like you would normally do any group. Yeah. And they're, they're all excited, though. I'm going to be with dad and discipleship group. They don't have a clue what's coming. We're going to try to memorize this year with them the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. I know that's a I know that's a lot, two verses a week, but how cool would that be? When Rig, when Rig is, he's going to be 11, when Rig hits 12 years old, he's going to have the entire Sermon on the Mount memorized. I don't know about you, but if I could do that at 12, I'd probably be set for the rest of my life just to know what moral standard Christ expects. Well, I'm looking forward to the podcast content we're going to get out of this discipling. We might even have Rig on the podcast. We may have to have a guest. Rig may want to come. He's been dying. (laughs) You know, he wants to be a YouTube uh, sensation. So that's on, on the personal level. What do we do in terms of staff in, in getting ready to kind of create traction and build momentum for the fall? Okay. Not only do you have to be engaged in discipleship groups, but your staff does as well. So you, you have to be buying what you're selling. Okay. You can't, you can't be working for Apple and you have an Android phone in your pocket. It just doesn't work. Okay. So you have to have staff engaged. And so you're probably saying, well, pastor, uh, Robbie, I don't, I don't have staff engaged right now. That's where you spend all your time in the fall. Your time in the fall is to start discipling your staff in a way where they catch a vision for discipleship. And then you move to the church. And some of you are there to do this, but here's how you do it. What we've found is this. A lot of people in our churches want to make disciples. A lot of people want to hear the voice of God. A lot of people want to be led by the Spirit of God. A lot of people want to get into the Word of God. They don't know what to do. 
And so here's what we found. This is the ha-ha, as Tim LaFleur says. <laughs> Some say the aha moment. Some say the Tim aha. LaFleur Tim says, says the, the ha-ha. The ha-ha <laughs> moment. <laughs> the ha-ha is when you offer training that helps people see that they can do this, then it's an easy easy uh, connection to move them from the bench into the game. And so what we do is we do a training every year, twice a year, where we make it easy. We show them this is what a D group is. This is what the language is. This is how you start a group. This is how you facilitate a group. Remember, we do groups of three to five. We don't do one-on-one. It's a whole lot less stressful. You have to re-clarify for your people, even things you've taught them before, to stay on track. As we know, vision leaks, all those kinds of things. So you got to make sure, hey, we've said this before, we're still saying this, and we're still just as excited about it. Exactly. And you just got to keep repeating it to them. And so you need to tell them, how do you launch a group? How do you lead a group? How do you select people in the group? And then at the end of that is, you have to have people. Here's what we found. Have people who have already been engaged in discipleship come on the platform and teach and speak with you. You don't just do the speaking. Here's the insight. If you're the pastor or the leader in the church and you're the discipleship pastor or the education pastor and you're telling them what to do, it's one thing. But if you have Joe or Mike or Bubba come up and you say, hey, let me interview Bubba. Bubba, tell him what you're doing in discipleship. Then what they're going to say is, man, if he can do it, I can do it. And so what we found is this year when we do this training, we have different people who are already engaged in discipleship in the pews, padded seats. They come up and say, this is how you lead a group. This is how you launch a group. This is how you reproduce a group. And what our people see is if they can do it, I definitely can do it. Well, one of the things I think is extremely subtle on your part, but is so profound for our staff when it comes to any season of the year, but you know, specifically as we talk about the fall, is you'll begin to talk about these things in our staff meeting. So when all of our staff comes together, uh, I already know. Uh, I haven't been there yet, but come on. You know, as you're leading people through this training, you're going to be saying things like, um, I just started D with my boys. Yeah. This is how it's going. Uh, in my life group, this is what's happening. So uh, as a staff, we see you emulating those things that you expect us to do. Yeah. And it drives us to just remember, oh, yeah, we are supposed to be doing these things, too. We are supposed to be involved in this as much as anyone else. Yeah. And so I, I think that's one of the staff connections that any leader can make. Yeah, you need to season your sermons with illustrations from your D group. Some of the greatest illustrations that can fill your sermons to really impact your people are from your discipleship. I mean, I would say in passing things like, man, it's so cool to see a guy uh, who's an accountant in our church struggle with quoting the book of Romans in my D group. There's no greater feeling than seeing a guy, you know, jokingly I would say this. And then I would move on. And then right, my right. people would sit in the pew and say, I'm not doing that. I'm not memorizing anything. Or I would say, like a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, I'm going to disciple my boys this fall, and I'm excited about doing this. You can pray for me. Listen, I had, after the three services on Sunday, I had no less than five or six guys walk up to me and say, you just convicted me so much. I've been wanting to do this, and I'm going to start it myself in the fall. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm on board. I'm discipling my kids as well this this fall. Yeah. Well, you're doing it too. I'm doing it too. So exactly. we're, we're going to have a lot to talk about. I can't wait. I mean, and, and so so this is Rig yesterday, my son Rig. So Rig comes to the sermon. I uh, heard the sermon a while back on, on Noah and the Nephilim. I, I said, Rig, let's let's lay out some preliminary uh, groundwork of what the discipleship group, group's going to be like in the fall. He said, or in a couple weeks, he said, okay, perfect. He said, now daddy, I just want to tell you tonight when we do the preliminary groundwork, I just want to get to the bottom and start with who were the Nephilim. 
Were they half demon, half man, or were they half women, half human? I said, son, that is not, that's not what we're talking about tonight. But this is the kind of group I'm going into. Well, when it comes to momentum, so as we, as we kind of wrap up here, for our churches, I think, some, you know, what are a, a couple of key pointers when you say, okay, we had an amazing uh, week after Labor Day, everybody's back, everybody's engaged, groups have launched. What are a couple things you, you would like to see that, that you do that you implement to help people sustain that momentum? One of the things that we've always tried to do in, in places that I've been able to serve at is to say, you know, once you capture the momentum, the difficulty is sustaining that momentum. Yeah. Because when you capture it, a couple things happen. You're kind of like, okay, we arrived. Let's take a break. Yeah. But the challenge is to say, wow, we, we've gotten what we wanted. Now we have to press in even more so. We have to talk even more about discipleship groups. We have to talk even more about life groups, about our discipleship pathway, about this series that we're launching. So all of these things. But most importantly, I would say, is you have to stay true to what you're supposed to be doing. You're pressing more into the Word, pressing more into your own discipleship group, your own life group. That's where you're going to be sustained to go further, not to accomplish some type of job uh, win but knowing that, hey, God is growing me personally as well. I think, I think this is a long conversation, but to sum it up is I think you are making sure you are highlighting what the win is. The win for these sermon series, the win for getting people to come to church, the win for growing a church is not for the sake of numbers. Remember this. The goal is not even conversion and baptism. That's where we stop so often. The goal is to move them beyond the threshold of faith into a long-term journey to be conformed to the image of Christ through discipleship. So I think to answer your question is we need to define the win. The win is not just to get a bunch of people in the fall to come to church. The win is how can we, watch this, assimilate our people into smaller relationships whereby they're in an environment to grow into the image of Christ. And what happens is we've got to move beyond the metrics of attendance, buildings, and cash and start moving people to see that baptism is not the finish line. Baptism is the starting line of a relationship with Christ. That's good. Well, have you listened to the One Thing podcast with Scott Sanders and Derek Hanna recently? As a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network family, they've recently covered topics like removing roadblocks and how to evangelize someone who is not interested in coming to your church. Hmm. So check those guys out at The One Thing on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.